NGFA members, uh, Bobby Frederick, VP of Legislative Affairs and Public Policy. Uh, for this podcast, we're joined by a very special guest. Jonathan Coppice is the Assistant Professor and Director of the Garden of the Gardner Agriculture Policy Program at the University of Illinois. Uh, he's also worn many hats, uh, you know, Chief Counsel for Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow at the Senate Ag Committee, former FSA Administrator, uh, and now Professor. Uh, but most recently, he was chosen to serve on pre- then-President-elect Biden's transition team at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, so we're very uh, lucky to have Jonathan Coppins with us today. Jonathan, how are things in Champaign? Hey, Bobby. It's great to talk to you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a very kind introduction and, and more, than I de- more than I deserve. Um, everything's good. Uh, we've started classes back, although mostly virtual, um, so we're kind of still working our way through the, the weirdness and uh, challenges of this pandemic and what it means for a big, open, public university like the University of Illinois, but... Uh, you know, I put a plug into this place. The, the amount of testing and the way they've run their testing program has just been incredible. And I, I wish that uh, we had a much more national system like that. Hopefully, hopefully, we can get one in place soon. So, a lot to be proud of with with the way the university has been handling this really tough matter. Absolutely, still a personal point. A lot of families still back in Champaign, and just uh, a lot to be proud of in the community of, of the testing program the university's had, keeping the students and student-athletes and teacher states. So uh, that, that's, a, that's definitely a, a good thing. And, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about if you could describe for our members, you know, what exactly is a presidential transition team and, and what does it do? Yeah, no, it's it's great. It's, um, it is, as you can imagine, just one of these sort of wonderfully governmental undertakings. Uh, as everybody knows, the, the executive branch is headed by the president, and so when you have a change of executives, uh, as we had after the election, the entire political leadership of every agency and every department that is a politically appointed figure, they all move out by noon on the 20th of January, and an entirely new political leadership is set to take over. Now, of course, with the federal government, you've got the political appointee leadership of the agencies and departments, but you also have a, a really big uh, and important rank of, of the ranks of career staff who, who stay on no matter who the administration. They're not political appointees, and they're just career public servant professionals. And so they stay on, and that's, you know, they, they certainly make sure that things continue to run in that, trend, in that process. But as you can imagine, you know, there's an entire sort of effort. Uh, this transition effort is really, you know, what the name in, in implies, which is they, it is an effort to transition between the previous political leadership and the incoming political leadership. And so I was honored. I, I it's sort of uh, not a, not even sure how, how they got to me uh, necessarily scraping the bottom of the barrel sometimes, I guess. But, oh, no. Uh, I, I was honored to be a uh, – a volunteer, a volunteer uh, a member of the of the what we call the agency review team, which is one subcomponent of the larger transition effort that moves across uh, these political changes in leadership. And our job was to review the agency, the state of the agencies at USDA. And so you're, we're, we did it all virtual this year because of the pandemic, so it's a little bit weirder than it usually is, and we were delayed because of the fighting uh, with GSA over whether to ascertain uh, President Biden's election and some of the political things that went on at high levels. But 
we got our work started and it's really uh, what it sounds like again it's a kind of a mechanical almost uh technocratic sort of review process you're looking through the agency budgets you're looking through the personnel situation hiring and and and, and employee feelings you're looking at the regulatory process, what regulations are still in the process, which ones have left to be done, which ones need to be reviewed, um, and a lot of the program function and operation. You know, one of the agencies that I helped work with was the Farm Service Agency. Uh, and so you have all these field offices, county offices, and the, and the system out in the, out in the countryside. And so, you know, just reviewing the state of those, uh, where problems might be, where issues could be. And the work product here is really this sort of handoff. Um, you know, you can think in, in, in old times when it would have been binders of documents and memos and, yeah. and organization charts and budget. Well, now we just put it in a bunch of Google Docs and it's, and it's provided to uh, them virtually so that the incoming political team has the best possible sort of lay of the land so that they can get started and be successful, uh, at least successful in their start. And they're not going in sort of blind or cold to these huge uh, federal agencies, um, so it helps them get started. So really it was this kind of handoff uh, effort to to inform uh, the incoming team. That sounds, uh, especially with your day day job, I mean, you mentioned a volunteer effort, and there were 17 <laughs> of you, I believe, if I, if I counted accurately, but is that is that just a lot of Zoom meetings and just talking with uh, your colleagues? You know, personally, what was that like for you? Yeah, so it turned out to be um, uh, a lot of time on on the virtual meetings. So I got to be very familiar with dancing between Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google Meets, and there was one other that now I just forgot. Uh, you know, and so it was like sometimes just back to back to back to back to back uh, virtual meetings. Um, you know, when it was with the agency folks, you know, we were getting their PowerPoints and walking, they were walking us through the documents or the budget and uh, org chart issues and things like that. You know, so there was a lot of that kind of meeting. We also did a lot of outreach with uh, in, with with groups, um, folks like the like your group, the National uh, Grain Feed Association, right? Mm-hmm. To get a sense of how have things worked, where are the, where are the issues that you guys are aware of, um, and getting feedback for the incoming team around uh, issues with the agency. And there was a slight sort of connection to the policy component, right? So you've got the, the goals and aspirations of the new incoming administration. And so some aspect of this review ties into well, what are the policy priorities and how do things kind of set up for those policy priorities? How does it inform um, some of the early policy decision making? You know, some really basic examples that you might have seen in the news, uh, President Biden has signed multiple executive orders. So somewhere in the transition, there would have been a process to work um, through the issues to get to the executive order for him to sign, for example, on day one. And so it feeds through that. Um, You wouldn't want to sign an executive order on a topic that you didn't have, um, you hadn't said through the review and understand the the state of the agency and and some of those issues, right? So that's kind of how it plays together. Well, and I, you're absolutely right. You know, we, we've been planning for and, and reading a lot in the ag press, you know, just about how USDA could engage in, in the climate and energy space. Uh, it was particular focus on, you know, a carbon bank. And, I mean, it, it, was your work on the transition any insights on, you know, how you think that might be employed as a tool to fight climate change and, and what that might look like, uh, given that, you know, se- soon-to-be Secretary Bill Sachs, if all things work out, his confirmation hearing uh, next week, which is 
uh, you know, virtually assured. Uh, you know, what, what does that carbon bank aspect look like from your perspective? Well, on that, then I have to be a little careful because um, obviously a lot of the deliberative and work stays within, and I and it, I would never um, never want to get out ahead of or or, or contradict anything. I, so, I would say from the transition from what I worked on, it was a lot of that sort of technocratic, you know, what's the state of the agency uh, budget issues, things like the Commodity Credit Corporation, of course, are very important for the concepts around the the carbon bank. Um, we were not developing policy. So I, I from a transition perspective, um, I do not have a, you know, a, 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 a fixed answer about what those policies look like. But we did work into how, um, for example, how to, to work through the concepts around it and, you know, reviewing, again, reviewing the Commodity Credit Corporation, for example, on, that is proposed to be used in some form or fashion. So, you know, what are the authorities? What's the borrowing authority? What are the the budget implications and so forth? Well, I know that's, that's fair. And, and, you know, we'll have to keep posted on Farm Doc, which you and your colleagues, uh, you know, are very prolific posters on that uh, for maybe some potential ideas from your, you know, per personal view uh, going forward on, on that space. Because that's definitely uh, an issue that, uh, you know, the, the ag community in, in general, and I know Robert Bonney and others that are going to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, prominent positions there. I mean, I guess, you know, the next time we have a presidential transition, you know, uh, however many years from now, is there advice that you'd give that next team on how to make these handoffs as efficient as possible, given your experience this go-round? Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they incorporate the virtual component in the future, because I do think there were some advantages. You know, we had people that were on our team from California that didn't have to uproot. You know, I didn't – I was – I worked from Urbana. I uh, didn't have to uproot and go out there. Um, but I also think it left some challenges because there is a, you know, it's government and, and meetings and, and just sort of the interpersonal aspect of it that you really miss out on. So I think it would be fascinating to see the combination uh, that can come out of that uh, for future work. And um, I think also we had some really valuable input uh, from the outside. And so I just, you know, I think that combination of, of the internal focus with the agencies, but also getting um, robust feedback from the industry, from the from uh, from the outside of the agency, was really useful. Um, you know, I think in particular things like trade issues and understanding how the the different uh, sectors of the ag economy were looking at China's Phase One agreement mm. and the things to watch out for and what kind of you know warning sirens might we want to have uh, our ears attuned to uh, or the new incoming team attuned to. So I think that mixture is also also very good and very important. Um, and, you know, I, I take away from this just a, a reminder of the just the incredible amount or the incredible level of, of professional and public service uh, in the agencies. You know, we can all get frustrated at times with the with our government. It is it is our government, um, and it's not a it's not outside of us in that case. But we can get frustrated sometimes with our interactions or what we may hear or see on TV. But it is you know it's just a really great sort of refresher and reminder that in the in the agencies you have people who are dedicating you know decades of their life uh, to being a public servant and to working. Um, you know, to get programs out or to help farmers uh, manage, you know, risk or loans or implement conservation practices. 
And it is just, it's a great reminder of that. And so, you know, anybody else doing transition, I think, to keep in mind that, you know, just that aspect of, of who you're dealing with and talking to and, you know, how important that work is. Um, uh, those agencies, they, they, they touch a lot of um, lives. They, they have real-world impacts. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's an important undertaking. And, and I, I, I personally, you know, I, I had a great sort of refresher and reminder about that. And I, I, it was one of the takeaways I had from the effort. Well, you had experience with that, too, in the public service uh, realm, and I wanted to kind of, you know, switch gears. And, by the way, I, I agree with you completely. You know, there's a lot of great folks at, at USDA uh, who've been there for decades that get us a lot of uh, input and information with respect to uh, transportation issues, the trade issues. And, uh, you know, we look forward to working with the Biden administration just like we, we did uh, working under Secretary Purdue. Um, but, you know, switching gears here, you know, you've helped craft and pass the Farm Bill when you were chief counsel for Chairman Chairwoman Stabenow, uh, but you've also written a 500-page book detailing the history of the Farm Bill and the politics and history. So uh, I just kind of want to know which one of those was harder to accomplish. <laughs> Bobby, I can't, I can't thank you enough for the shameless plug of, uh, of my dense and, and challenging history book. Um, <laughs> they you were didn't both. Ask me to, by the way, I was, uh, I was unsolicited. That was, uns- I appreciate that. I. They were both difficult in their own way. I would certainly say that. What is there is, I mean, you know this, and you worked on the Hill. There is just nothing like uh, the Hill experience. Um, being in those discussions, in those negotiations, and even, I mean, I have just sort of, I still have just strong memories of, of the sound of the gavel on the on the committee uh, around the committee table, and that sort of relief of a of a positive vote and a markup you know those things that are just were just incredible experiences um mm-hmm. the book was a whole nother beast of, of mostly my own uh you know lost in my own uh mind and research and so it was a very different very very uh internal process if you will but i'll tell you i i learned so much about the history behind the farm bill and how I mean I still just sort of uh sit back and, and and kind of get lost in thought about this sometimes about just how policies are made, how these farm policies are developed over time. And you know, we sit in one of those moments, Bobby, that it's like uh you spend enough time with history, you start to see a lot of these threads. And we're sitting I think one of these moments now where um where we look back over history, you know, and we sit here today knowing that somebody's going to look back and think about this, you know, coming out of this historic pandemic, um, mm-hmm. our extraordinarily difficult and challenging political environment, uh, the events that we have seen unfold on our capital to the, the, just the potential coming around, uh, climate change. And, you know, I, I kind of sit here thinking like, oh my gosh, uh, how many of these things sort of seem to recycle from the New Deal, Great Depression era, the Dust Bowl issue? You know, so you, you, you get a little bit of crossing of the lines, if you will, um, on some of this because it's just, I, I, I have this sense, I, I feel like a lot of us probably think this way, that there were at a pretty uh, pivotal, pivotal moment, I think, in history. And I think we'll see some policy development out of that, you know. Um, but, I wish I, I wish I knew. I wish I could, I could uh, <laughs> have a clear crystal ball on where it may be headed. Um, but I do think this is, uh, this is one of those times. And I think, um, 
I think it's exciting to be a part of it. I think there's some great opportunities. Uh, we mentioned climate change, right? There's some really great opportunities for agriculture to be part of uh, the solution, part of the efforts to combat and adapt and address climate change. Um, there is a big leadership role there and, uh, you know, the opportunities around new market development and, and what may come out of, uh, of these efforts. Uh, I, I'm pretty excited to be able to, uh, to, to watch this unfold. There's going to be a lot out there. I and mean, I, I read just earlier today on a publication of a possible new conservation core, uh, you know, a revamp of something that we had, uh, in the last century. Uh, so, you know, like you said, a lot of interesting things. Um, you know, one thing we hope you do have a crystal ball on and we really appreciate it is your analysis on set aside programs and the role within farm policy and, and climate. Uh, you know, the conclusion that I drew from your piece this summer is that these set-asides are not effective farm policy for, for corn and soybeans specifically, uh, and yet there are still these calls to, in, in effect, almost double the conservation reserve program to 50 million acres. Uh, you know, we take these proposals very seriously, but uh, I don't know, from your perspective, do you think this is gaining traction? Well, I think the set-aside discussion really kind of uh, – uh, you know, got louder, I guess, is a way to say it, um, with, with the sort of post trade conflict market and then the early pandemic market situations where what you'll see throughout history is that in times of depressed prices or market challenges, there's always a push to try to control production or set acres, um, out of, out of production that would, you know, try to, the old term in the in the 30s in the New Deal era was this idea of adjusting agriculture. So you would adjust the supply of agriculture to meet the demand the way Henry Ford did with the auto factories, you know, so that, that there weren't enough people buying cars. You'd, you'd shut down a plant or you'd lay workers off. You'd slow down the lines or whatever it is. What I think we've learned, I uh, hope we've learned over time, is that um, in terms of uh, – adjusting or managing supply, the acreage set aside and control policies have, have been ineffective um, generally, and sometimes they've been very problematic and, and even um, damaging. Um, you, you, cannot, you cannot control production, um, you know, based on the number of acres planted. Um, yield improvements have proved that to be the case. Weather is such a huge factor. Uh, you know, the the great concept that uh, former Secretary of Agriculture Henry Wallace during the FDR years, right, he had this idea of this ever-normal granary in which USDA would be this um, functional storage place of last resort because they knew that if you cut too many acres and had a drought, you are going to be short on wheat, for example, or corn or, you know, running short on a crop like that is going to be a real problem in the economy and a real problem politically if people have to mm-hmm. If you have food shortages, so it's a it's a big challenge. Um, I do think you know you mentioned the CRP. I do think uh, there are some fascinating discussions around the conservation space and the climate uh, the climate concepts that are are going to look at acres, are going to look at you know comparative uses of acreage or ways to integrate um, production of commodities and you know capture of carbon. And I think we've learned a lot. Uh, over the years from working land conservation, um, for example, that you can do conservation and have production from the acreage uh, and be able to uh, to improve the environmental or sustainable or, in this case, carbon footprint. And so 
you know, my, my hope is that these continue to evolve and we don't necessarily reach for the, the old tool when, when we've got, uh, new potential ones in front of us. Um, and, you know, we think of, we think of places like, I think of places like Central Illinois. That's, that's where we have to work on, you know, cover crops and, and other sort of infield practices because we're sitting on some of the most productive farmland in the world. Um, that's, you're not going to set that aside. You're not going to pull that out of production. So how do we integrate that and, and work with your organization and farmers and companies in the supply chain uh, to deliver value, um, uh, particularly value for the for things like the carbon capture um, efforts and uh, conservation practice like cover crops. So I think there's a lot to be um, interested in and, and, and excited about and how this could develop. Well, I know we'll keep working on that. And like you said, working lands, that's something we heavily tout as opposed to the set-asides. Uh, and as you pointed out in your piece, you know, Brazil is the likely place to increase their acres and reduce any positive price effects for, for our producers. And you know, that's, that's further loss in market share for, for the U.S. Um, you know, finally, uh, and thank you for your time today, you know, you've farmed, you've been a public servant, and now you teach. And I wanted to know, alluding to your point about the future and it being at a pivotal moment, uh, you know, NGFA, we're always working with our next generation of grain handler, uh, you know, constituencies through our um, committee apprentice program. Uh, but what about the, the, the future when it comes to ag students and researchers? You know, what are your expectations for, for your, cla- your, your classes and uh, what's your advice to them? <laughs> That's a great question. And also, before I say, before I answer, just a, uh, thank you for reminding me about the foreign market and <laughs> land use change issues. Um, which I should have also addressed in our set aside. You're mm-hmm. absolutely correct. We don't want to export acres to Brazilian rain, former Brazilian rainforests, uh, given it's important with climate change. But no, students, you know, it is, I'll tell you, um, while it, while it makes me feel like an older person, uh, to be amongst young students, uh, who are, you know, just bright and with so much ahead of them, you know, it is, it is really refreshing that the students that we have in, class and they're doing research and that are interested in, in these issues around agriculture and natural resources and the environment, the climate. Um, it's great. I mean, I, I think, I think we have a, a strong future based on the, the students that I've seen and their dedication. Um, God, they're better college students than I was. Uh, their, 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 their work ethic and, and things. I, I, again, I, I give a, a big, uh, a big shout out to the University of Illinois and the quality of students that come here and, and their dedication and, and work ethic and, and intelligence. This is great. I mean, we get, I just, I just got out of class today and I, we're talking about the, it's agricultural law and we're talking about water issues to sort of kick things off and just some great questions around it. Um, you know, some rel- timely, relevant, uh, contemporary issues that it was just it kind of makes me smile to think, oh man, that was a great question. You know, there's nothing like a, a student asking a great question and making you stop in the middle of a lecture and have to actually think <laughs> and, and, you know, almost have to have to reassess what you, what you were talking about. And so um, I, I have I have real confidence in the in the future and, and the potential for leadership, creative thinking. And, you know, you and I talked about this, Bobby, that the research work at this place is just it's mind boggling uh, mm-hmm. what what's going on with with. Uh, digital agriculture, um, precision agriculture work. Like it's just, 
you know, sometimes I'm like a kid in a candy store walking around here thinking, oh, my God, look at this. We're, we're working on this. This guy's working on this, and she's she's developing this. And, you know, you just sort of sit back in, in awe a little bit and, and want uh, want as much as possible for, uh, for them to get recognition for it and for it to be applied in fields and, and along waterways. And so it's great. It's just a fantastic place to be. And I think, uh, like I said, I think a bright future for us. Well, uh, th- there have been good career moves and, uh, you know, uh, exiting the, the D.C. area after some distinguished service to, to live the dream back in central Illinois. Uh, I applaud you and uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> your students benefit from your experience, uh, certainly. And uh, Jonathan, I always appreciate the time. I know we'll talk in the future. Uh, and again, thank you for, to our NGFA listeners as well. Uh, Jonathan Coppice's examination of the farm bill is called The Fault Lines of Farm Policy. Uh, I had to get that in there for you. Thank you uh, again for, for, for doing this. And, yeah, come back sometime. And uh, if you're ever doing something like this, uh, feel free to, you know, ask us. We're happy to say yes. No, Bobby, you guys, your group does great work. You do great work. I do. Uh, I appreciate all that you put into it. And I appreciate the the ability to always jump on the phone and talk with you and, and, and think through some of these issues and take some challenging questions back and, and chew on them a little bit. And so it is. It's great to work with you, and, and I hope your uh, hope things continue to go well. And, and I look forward to work with you and your organization here in the future as we uh, as we think and think the policies through.